0: Hey there, I'm Lauren Hicks, pastor of Pacific Christian Center in Santa Maria, California. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. It's my prayer that this message strengthens your faith and draws you closer to God. Now enjoy today's message.
1: Israel Mendoza I'm 31 years old and this is the story of how God gave me a new life I had a good childhood I grew up in the church I actually came to Pacific Christian from 1990s to the 2000s in the Spanish service so growing up I had a good life two good parents played sports normal life just like everybody else but then at the age of 12 my parents split up and that's when my life changed that's when my dad Sadly to say, he fell in alcoholism and other substance. And he was so focused on his life that he kind of wasn't focused on me, which that's when I saw the door open and that's when I started going to the streets. And not proud of it, but I hang around nothing but drug dealers and gangsters. And that's, that's what basically why I grew up. And I became addicted to what people call in the streets, hustling and I started selling you know, marijuana at a young age. I started using, I became addicted to smoking, I became addicted to drinking, I became addicted to that lifestyle. And I was just being a rebellious child and that's how I grew up. But deep down, I was never happy. For so many years, I was fooled by the devil. The devil had me caught in that little world, that little cycle that if you live a certain lifestyle, you'll be happy, but in reality, I wasn't happy. So at the age of 20, when I moved to the Bay Area, I started hanging around other different people, but I was still smoking. I was still selling. So I went from the streets to the party lifestyle. So for 10 years, I was at the clubs, at the bars, chasing women, you know, thinking that I was going to satisfy my soul. But in reality, I was deep, deep inside, I was empty. And I lived that lifestyle until seven months ago seven months ago is when i made the biggest decision of my life and it's the best decision of my life and i was returning my life to jesus christ at the moment i had that great woman had a good job had a good income you know so anybody from the outside would think of me and be like that guy has it figured out but in reality i was mad and angry i was so unhappy that I hurt my ex-partner, I mistreated her. Every time she would give me good advice, instead of seeing that she wanted the best for me, I would see her attacking me, so I would attack her back. And no, eventually she got tired of me and she left me. And the day after she left me, I felt like the whole world came down on me and I went on a hike. I started reflecting my life and I realized everything I've been doing for the last, what was it, 17, 18 years? And I realized all the people I hurted, all the people I damaged, how I was living my lifestyle, and I realized I'm not truly happy. And this time I remember telling God, like, I don't want to continue this toxic lifestyle that I was living. And so God, I told him, like, I give you my life. I no longer want to live my life. I never want to do my will. I give you 100% control of my life. You do what you want to do with me. And from there on, my life changed. I started Praying every day, I thank God for my father. Every day we pray, every day we read the Bible. He went from being the person that I used to blame. Now, when I have my problems, I could run to him. He helps me. I've been seven months sober. That's the longest I've been since I was 13. And God has changed my life a lot in the last seven months. No, I went back to school. I'm passing all my classes. I'm actually getting good grades. That's surprising after 12 years of not going to school. God has blessed me with my side businesses, my side legal businesses for the first time. I sell shoes and food and God has been been amazing in my life. For the first time I could feel peace and joy. I don't have anger. I don't have hate. I love God. I'll be honest. I I can't see my life without God anymore. He's the only one that's going to help me. He's the only one that's going to take me out of that dark place I was. He's the one that's going to give me this new life and so I had to make a lot of sacrifices. It's been seven months and I'll be be—I'll keep it honest with you, I'm still in the desert, I'm still battling every day, but you know, I put the armor of God and I'm ready for whatever the devil throws at me and I'm never gonna give up. And I know with God by my side, anything's possible. <laughs>
0: Israel, where are you? Are you here today, Israel? Because he's standing up in the balcony. Give him a hand. Give Israel a hand. Wow. This is a story of how Jesus changes lives. I hope this series has been a blessing to you. Wow, it's been a blessing to me. To hear firsthand first-hand stories of not some random person, you know, somewhere that you don't know, but people in our own church community of how Jesus has changed their life. And maybe you're here today and you're wondering, wow, if God can do that for Israel, I wonder if He can do that for me. What would you say, Israel? Yes, He can. Yes, He can. He can do it for you. Amen. Amen. If you brought a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John The Gospel of John, the 8th chapter, or maybe you have a Bible app on your smartphone, feel free to power that up. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11 is our text today. I say this uh, almost every week, but I strongly encourage you when you come to church on Sundays, when you come to the house of the Lord, be sure to bring a Bible with you. Uh, Be sure to bring a Bible app on your phone. Either way, paper form or digital form, bring a copy of the Word of God uh, with you. We always share Scripture together from the Word of God. That's what preaching is. And so today in John chapter 8, in just a few moments, we will read this wonderful passage of Scripture. Hey, wasn't praise and worship a blessing this morning? Could you say thank you to our team? Thank you, guys. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Michaela. Thank you, everybody. What a blessing. What a blessing. I just kind of felt like that could have went on and on uh, today, don't you? What a blessing. And um, our hearts are encouraged. Our hearts are strengthened. And I believe that the Lord was glorified this morning. By the way, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of praise and worship is Jesus exalted, Jesus magnified, Jesus lifted up, Jesus being praised. It was hot yesterday, wasn't it? Beautiful day. I mowed my yard yesterday. Pastor Linda made me out of the yard. No, she, she, she didn't make me, but uh, if you drive by uh, my house, I always wear a cowboy hat when I mow my yard. So it's just, just my thing, and um, mostly because it has a wide uh, rim on the hat, and I'm a white boy and need some protection from the sun. Um, but I was mowing the yard with my cowboy hat, and uh, I was praying because, you know, when you mow your yard, that's a good time to pray, a good time to talk with the Lord. And I was praying for this service today, And I was asking the Lord to speak to your hearts, and I was asking God to use me, and asking the Lord to give me some word uh, that I might say that the Lord might use in your life. Uh, I'm just a messenger, I'm a pencil in the hand of God, there's no glory or honor to the pencil or the tool, all the glory goes to the Lord, and I always pray that my voice would be silenced, it's not important for you to hear my voice, it's important for you to hear the voice of the Lord. So let my voice fade away, and let the voice of the Lord speak clearly to your heart. But the Lord reminded me of, of an incident that happened many years ago, when uh, I just began a ministry. I was a youth pastor uh, in the city of Columbia, Missouri. Linda and I were serving there, newly married, working as a youth pastor, and one day I was in the church office, and the phone rang at the office, and uh, our secretary was out that day. And we had a a very small church staff. In fact, I was the only one uh, in the office that day when the phone rang. The lead pastor was out. And uh, so, you know, it falls on the youth pastor to answer the phone. So I answered the phone, and there was a recording on the phone. And it says, this call is from so-and-so correctional facility. This is a collect call. Will you accept this collect call from this correctional uh, facility? And I, you know, I'm, I'm the new youth pastor. Do I, can I, do I, do I have the authority to do that? Can I accept a collect call on behalf of the church? But just something inside of me said, this, I, I need to take this call. I need to accept this collect call. And so I said yes. And then a moment later was a man on the phone that I had never met, uh, an inmate uh, in the prison. And immediately he introduced himself and he said, don't hang up, please don't hang up, don't hang up. He says, I've been calling as much time as they'll give me, I've been calling through the phone book, back when we used to have those, he said, I was calling through the phone book, and he said, I'm calling church after church because I just need to talk to a pastor, and nobody would accept the collect call. And he said, would you, would you connect me in your church with a pastor? And I said, well, I'm the only pastor here, I'm the youth pastor, would you like to talk? And he was struggling spiritually and emotionally, and was wondering if someone, some pastor, would be willing to drive to the prison during visitor, uh, visiting hours to meet him. And so, I, you know, I'd never done that before. i just right out of Bible college. I had never d- driven to a prison. I'd never met with, with someone. and um, My pastor came back. I had a conversation with the pastor. I asked his permission. He said yes, and so I made my way on, this, on the day we made the appointment, and I made my way to the prison to meet a man I'd never met before, went through all the security protocols, sit down and a few minutes later, they bring a man out and he sits down at my table and we, inter- we introduce ourselves. He was so grateful, so thankful that somebody would come and visit me. And he said, I wanna tell you my story. And began to tell, tell me the story. He had been incarcerated for a number of years and told me the story of how he was, when he, when he was a young man, that one day he was, he was at a bar and he got into an altercation with another man and it, brought, it led them out into the parking lot And in their their fighting together that day, he killed the other man. And was arrested and was sentenced. He was serving serving a life sentence. And I'll never forget, he asked me this question. He said, I've been trying to get a pastor to come to talk with me, and I've had a hard time doing that because I want to ask this question, could God save someone like me? Could God save someone like me? It is my joy to let him know that Jesus even loves murderers. Jesus will save a murderer. Now, I don't know how you would rank sin if we were to say, give me a list of sins and begin to write some things down. There's all kinds of sins. There are no doubt sins that you and I would say, those are small sins. I'm not sure if God sees it that way. right? I mean, there's a verse description in the Bible that says, all liars shall have their place in the lake of fire. We might think of lying as a small thing, but probably murder is at the top, somewhere close to the top of your list, but could God save someone like me? And I'm so grateful that this man came to the Lord, and over the next couple of years I had several opportunities to, to travel back and forth to this prison, to meet with him, to share with him, and I don't know where he is today, I don't know if he's still alive today, but there's no doubt it was a divine appointment. Don't you believe that God can orchestrate a phone call at the right moment when the right person is in the room? And uh, at the right place, I have no doubt that God orchestrated that. And I'll tell you that story to tell you that wherever you find yourself today, wherever you may be today, there is a path from where you are to Jesus. There is a path. And and maybe you're here today and say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I am not a Christian. I am not saved. In fact, I live a very broken life, a very messed up life. And somehow you found yourself here today in this church, and we're so grateful that you are here. And maybe, like this man, you've wondered if God could save someone like you. And the answer today, as so many of us in this room can testify Jesus can indeed save someone like you. And the reason we know that is because he saved someone like us. And if he can save someone like me, then I know he can save someone like you. Maybe you've heard the whisper and the lie of the enemy that says, there's no hope for you. You couldn't be forgiven by God. God wouldn't love someone like you. Can I tell you today, those words are a lie. Those words are a lie. Today, you are loved by your Heavenly Father. Jesus gave His all so that you could find wholeness, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be set free. That's what Jesus does. He gives people new lives. How many of you today would say, by lifted hand, Jesus gave me a new life? Anybody here today gave me a new life? How many of you online watching? Maybe just type amen in the comments. Jesus gave you a new life as well. Well, let's talk about a story where Jesus gives someone a new life. In the Gospel of John, the fourth book of the New Testament, the life, the eyewitness testimony of the ministry of Jesus, John chapter 8. Let's start at verse number 2. The Bible says, "...at dawn He," speaking of Jesus, "...appeared in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around Him, and He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery." And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, "Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery." In the law of Moses, in the law Moses commanded as to stone such women. "But what do you say, Jesus?" They were asking this question as a trap in order to have a basis to accuse him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Verse 7, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. And the woman was standing there, and Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let's walk through this story very carefully because there's some things that are essential for you and I to see today as we consider this idea that Jesus gives people new life. It was early morning in Jerusalem. The Bible says in the story that it was dawn, the sun was coming up, but Jesus was already up. Jesus apparently was an early riser. He is at the temple courts. And even though it is very early, the crowd has already gathered around Jesus to hear him teach. Now we don't know what Jesus taught about that morning, but he was about to give an object lesson to the crowd that people would talk about for the next 2,000 years. Suddenly, Jesus' lesson is interrupted by the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, religious men, men of God, spiritual men. They are experts of Scripture. They know the law better than anyone else, and they are prideful about it. They were the definition of a know-it-all. Have you ever been around a know-it-all? They're a joy to be around. Although these men were religious, they were not godly. And their intentions were not good. These men were self righteous. They were arrogant. They were cunning. Certainly they were hypocritical. Jesus would say of them, these. Exact same group of men. Jesus would say of them in Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 and 28, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs who look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. Jesus said, Boys, you sure clean up good, but I know what everybody else may not be able to see, that on the inside you're empty. You look good on the outside, you cleaned up well, you got the garments right, you know how to act, you know how to talk, you know how to do things in a certain way, you know how to appear religious, but on the inside you are empty. There is no life of God within you. In other words, Jesus is saying to them, you can talk it, you just don't walk it. Now this story that we have just read this morning, for those of you who are Bible readers, and I hope that to all of you, and I encourage you to be a Bible reader if you've read the Gospels, if you're not a Bible reader and you've never read the Bible, or you're not really familiar with the Scripture, start in the New Testament. Start, in fact, matter of fact, before you leave here today, see us out of the Connection Center. We will give you a Bible today before you leave if you don't have a Bible. Start in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four books that talk about the life and ministry, teaching, and miracles of Jesus. But for those of you who are Bible readers, this is not a new story to you, but maybe it's a story that's been a while since you have read. Maybe it's been a while since you have come across this particular story. So, I want us to take some time this morning, a few minutes that we have left, to walk our way through it. Uh, I have read and read and read this story this week. I start early in the week on my sermon prep, and I have gone over and over this story. And there are several glaring questions that keep coming up to me as I read uh, this story, some things we don't know about. First of all, the first question that I see in this story is Who is this woman? Who is this woman? What is her name? Was she single? Was she engaged? Is she married? Is she a young woman? Is she a middle-aged woman? Did she have a previous relationship with any of these religious leaders? We don't know. The second question that I, I keep coming back to, this ought to be an obvious question to anybody that reads this story, how did they catch her in the act of adultery? Adultery is private. Adultery is secretive. Adultery is done not in the open, but alone, behind closed doors. How did they catch her in the act of adultery? We don't exactly know. But since the objective here is to trap Jesus, it makes sense that this adultery is a setup. And since adultery is a capital offense... The law demands that any accusation be a literal eyewitness testimony. So it would not be enough to say, "Mm, I saw the two of them walk into the bedroom and close the door. That would not be enough to condemn. To condemn, there had to be a literal eyewitness testimony. The Bible says these words, She was caught in the act. They did not catch her accidentally. Here's another glaring question. Where is the man? The women in the room are like, you better preach that. (laughs) Adultery requires two people. The woman is brought before Jesus, but not the man. Perhaps the man was a part of the setup. Here's another question Why did they expose her publicly? They didn't have to do that. They did not have to bring this woman to Jesus. You see, their goal was not to punish the woman, but to find a way to accuse Jesus. So picture this it's in the morning. The sun is just coming up. It is at dawn. Jesus got up early that morning. Uh, there is a crowd of people. Perhaps they would already, maybe Jesus had announced that, hey, if you guys want to hear, uh, I'm going to be teaching in the morning. If you guys want to come out early before you have to go to work, this, I'm going to be at the temple courts. This is where I'm going to be. We don't know how that worked out, but we do know the Bible says there was already a crowd people there and Jesus is teaching. And in March, these religious leaders, these scribes, these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, they are dragging a woman. You can imagine them. One's on one side of her. She does not come willingly. She does not want to come. She does not want to participate in their game. They are literally dragging her to Jesus in front of this large crowd. We don't know how many people there were there. We don't know if there were dozens, hundreds or thousands. We just know that there is a crowd. There was a woman, they said, that had been caught in the act of adultery. Notice those words, the act of adultery. She was literally pulled from her partner. And with a look of smug superiority on their faces, they pushed her in front of Jesus. It was a trap. She was being used by these men who were supposed to be religious leaders. Would Jesus condemn her to death or would he let her go? Either way, the incident would give them ammunition against Jesus, their rival. But Jesus refused to play their game. A picture of the woman who had been caught in adultery. She was guilty. She never denies it. She doesn't make any excuses. She doesn't say, but there's more to the story. She knew they had the facts. I can imagine her hair as disheveled. Her clothing is dirty from being dragged through the streets. She's barefooted and pretty sure she's angry. The look on her face was probably a combination of bitterness and shame. Her sin, which was done in private, has now been made public for everyone to see. Maybe there were people in the crowd who knew this woman. Maybe some of her family members were in the crowd. Maybe people she worked with were in the crowd She is publicly humiliated, publicly exposed. Now Jesus knew that in those days there were three offenses that would require capital punishment. They were idolatry, murder, and adultery. Idolatry, murder, and adultery. And if any one of these three would be proven against you, then you would be put to death. Now this act of adultery, this is not the type of thing that you would typically stumble upon as you walk the streets of the city in the early morning. It's very likely that this is a conspiracy. Possibly the partner is one of the men accusing her. A plan to trap Jesus had been hatched and the woman was simply a pawn in their plans. Her name is never mentioned in the story. She meant nothing to these men. She was a means to an end. Nothing more. To these men, this woman was just bait in their trap. So they quote the law of Moses. Jesus, the law of Moses says that a woman caught in adultery is to be put to death. But what do you say, Jesus? What is your answer? And it puts Jesus, this is their intention, in a dilemma. And here's the dilemma. If Jesus says she should be stoned and put to death, then in the minds of the crowd, Jesus is no different than any of these legalistic religious leaders of the day because Jesus had been preaching everywhere he goes a message of hope and forgiveness, of love and grace. But if he said to let her go, then Jesus breaks the law of Moses. That's what you call a trap. What would Jesus do? Also, during this period of time, the Romans had rule and occupation over Israel. Jews had no authority during this time to put anyone to death. Only the Romans could do that. And so if Jesus had commanded that the woman be executed for her sin of adultery, he would be going against Roman authority, what would Jesus do? So picture the moment in your mind. It's still early morning. There's a crowd of people watching without saying a word. Surely you could have heard a pin drop on that moment, that morning. What is going to happen? There are the religious leaders with their arms crossed and with disgust and contempt on their faces. There's a woman standing in front of them, no doubt with her head in her hands, weeping. And then there's Jesus. What will Jesus do? Verse 6 says, Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. Now, Bible scholars for 2,000 years have wondered what Jesus wrote in the dirt that day. All we can do is speculate. I researched it this week. I really wanted to know what do Bible scholars and historians, what do they believe Jesus is writing there on that day? Jesus does not react with anger or outrage at the woman or even the accusers. He does not scream at the woman. He simply writes in the dirt with his finger. Some think that he was stalling for time. Some think that Jesus is writing the names of the accusers in the sand or possibly their sins. That if they would, that's the way I like the story, that's the way I'm gonna believe it, but <laughs> that if they would publicly shame this woman for their sins, Jesus is calling out their sins. We don't, we don't know. Verse seven and eight are interesting. The scripture says they kept demanding an answer. So Jesus is down on the ground. He's squatted down. He's riding, whatever he's riding in the dirt. He's riding. He doesn't say a word. And these religious leaders are insistent Come on, Jesus. Come on. We asked you a question, Jesus. The crowd is just sitting there watching this thing play out. What is going to happen here? Come on, Jesus. They are insistent, they are demanding. Uh, jesus to give them an answer and the bible says so he stood up and said all right all right but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone and then jesus goes back to his writing let the one who is without sin throw the first stone i think i think they came to this occasion with this woman with the stones already in their hands In a sense, Jesus is saying, before you throw that stone you're holding, be sure you take a good look in the mirror. Make sure that you are morally qualified to put this woman to death. If not, fellas, I suggest you put down the stones. Wow. Jesus is a master of the moment. Jesus is a master at his words. There is silence. The crowd is on the edge of their seats. And then you begin to hear thump, 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 as one by one the stones are dropped to the ground. The Bible says the, the men began to leave, quietly made their exit, starting with the oldest to the youngest. I really am wondering about that. Why the oldest to the youngest, maybe because the older have lived longer and they had more sins committed, and Jesus is making a list over here. <laughs> Better get out of here before that list gets much longer. They begin to quietly walk away. Then, then everybody, the beautiful part of the story. Jesus turns to the woman and asks, ma'am, where are your accusers? Is there no one left here to condemn you? She's wiping away the tears and she quietly responds, No, Lord. And then she hears words that she can hardly imagine from Jesus the Messiah. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. The only one who could truly condemn her did not. These men were bringing in their accusations, but the only one that could truly condemn did not. Jesus gave her assurance of forgiveness, notice, before he confronts her lifestyle. He doesn't talk about her life of sin. He doesn't go down a list. He doesn't talk about the adultery. He doesn't talk about any of that kinds of things. He's just saying to her words of forgiveness, I'm not going to condemn you. And then he says, go And sin no more. I believe this is a transformational moment in this woman's life. I believe this is it. This is for her. For her, this is her moment. This is her changed life moment. This is her brand new life moment. This is her encounter with Jesus that she would always look back on for the rest of her life. I will never be the same because of an encounter I had with Jesus where he says, I do not condemn you. Go leave your life of sin. She is never the same again. She is forgiven. She is set free. Sin is gone. Shame is gone. Condemnation is gone. Humiliation has been gone. Dignity is restored by Jesus. And after the story, she moves, as far as we know, into obscurity. Forgiven and given a new life. We don't know her name, but maybe I like to think she was one of the major women of the New Testament. It's important to note that while this is a story, clearly this is a story about a woman who received the grace of God and a new life, there is also a strong point in the story to be made about the danger of a judgmental spirit. This week I wrote in my notes, I keep coming back to this question, I wrote in my notes, which sin is worse, adultery or a judgmental spirit? Which sin is worse, adultery or a judgmental spirit? Now, it's clear in this story, Jesus is not soft on the adultery. Jesus doesn't look the other way. Jesus doesn't sweep her sin under the rug. No, He forgives her. And He gives her a new life. But a huge part of this story is Jesus' condemnation of religious people who have a judgmental spirit towards others. We can't deny that that is a huge part of the story. And I'm sorry, I just have to share some things. This is just Lauren journaling. i got to give you an in- insight. This is what I wrote on t- early Tuesday morning. In my, my notes, I could take you and show you my notes. And I wrote these words. Why is it that we like to share the sins of others? Why is it that we enjoy doing that? Why do we find some smug satisfaction of sharing the sins of others? Wow, look about that. Did you hear about? Did you see their Facebook post? Did you see that? No, I didn't see that. I better take a look at that right now. I didn't see see that. a soul searching moment. I said it's a soul searching moment. For all, for all of us who are believers in Jesus, for me, dear God, search my heart. May we never celebrate when others sin. May our hearts be grieved along with the Holy Spirit. Let's always seek to restore the fallen with humility and meekness and gentleness. May we not come in loaded with stones, ready to throw at those who have fallen into sin. May that not be our testimony. May that not be our posture. May that not be our heart, that we come walking in with rocks to throw at someone else. May we restore. May restoration always be our goal. Paul says in Galatians that we would restore with a spirit of gentleness, Not with condemnation, not with accusation, not with harshness, not with look what you did, not with who do you think you are, not with boy you messed up this time. May we not come at it from that point of view, but may we come, as Paul says, to restoration with gentleness, lest we fall. Who do we think we are that we couldn't be the one that's fallen? Can I tell you every person in this room, including the preacher, is capable of falling If it isn't for the grace of God, for the strength of the Holy Spirit, may the Lord guard our hearts against being judgmental and critical and negative. Oh, God, help us. I just feel the Holy Spirit in this moment to pause here, church. I'm not thinking about anybody or any incident. I'm just listening to the Holy Spirit. May that never be the posture at Pacific Christian. May that never be the spirit at Pacific Christian that we are judgmental and critical and negative towards those that have fallen. But may we weep with those who have fallen. May we mourn with those who have fallen. May we be broken with those who have fallen. May we join them at the altar and find restoration and hope in Jesus who picks up all our pieces and puts us back together as we sing today. May we silence our lips from speaking gossip. May we love like Jesus loves. Who am I to throw a stone at anyone? Who am I? He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. We too would have walked away like those religious leaders because it's a moment of recognition. The only reason we're here today, friends, is because of grace. God's goodness and God's grace. This story shows us the great heart of God towards sinners. May our hearts be filled with compassion towards the lost. Friends, the Holy Spirit is in this room today. We're just going to obey the Lord today. Is that okay with everybody? We're going to obey the Lord. I know the clock's moving and all that. If you got to go, you got to go. But I have to obey Jesus. Let's don't drive by lost people who are caught up in their sin and shake our head. Look at look at look at at them in their sin. Hey, just a minute ago, that was us. We were in sin. Thursday night, my wife and our daughter. We were—I don't know if I was going to say this, Pastor Linda—but I just feel the Lord. Thursday night, our daughter wanted to go to, over to Slow to the farmers. Some of you have been there to the big farmers' market, m- multiple blocks. It was the largest crowd I have been in, probably since COVID. I think it was just like thousands of people on the streets out there, and. I mentioned it several times to Linda as we were walking through that crowd. I could barely walk down that street without weeping. Because the streets were all ages, but mostly young people. Mostly young people. The atheists had their tent set up. I was looking for a church, maybe a church had a tent set up somewhere. I didn't find one. I saw people. rainbow flags walking around just thousands of lost young people and all I could think in my heart was who are going to reach these young people who is going to reach these young people is there a church on the central coast that loves those young people That's all I could think of. I could barely walk down the street without tears coming down. I didn't want to seem like a crazy man. This man's walking down there. (laughs) Is there a church? Would they be welcome at Pacific Christian? Would they be welcome at Pacific Christian? Would we make space at Pacific Christian for lost young people? Would we? Would we insist that they act like us and look like us and listen to our music and do things our way? Would we say, you're welcome here, but you got to do it this way? Or would we be willing to say, you know what, I love you so much, I'll set aside my preferences and the way I like things done and the way church feels good to me in order to make sure that those young people walking down that street don't go to hell. because that's where they're going. They're going to hell. Unless they have a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. And I say that with a grieving heart. A grieving heart. Oh God, may we not forget our mission. May we not forget that Jesus loves lost people. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus ate with sinners. He was criticized by the church crowd because He was hanging out with sinners because He loved them. May we love them. May we love them. May we make space for them. As God is our help, Pacific Christian, we're going to make space for them. As God is our helper, we're going to find a way to reach the next generation. We were shouting earlier when I was reading that scripture about don't let me get old and gray until I tell the next generation. Every generation's different. The 60s were different than the 50s, and the 70s were different than the 60s, and the 80s were different. That was the best generation, 80s, but anyway. <laughs> Especially the music. I'm just a little ticked off. We don't do some 80s music on Praise and Worship Team. Come on, just. just look. And the 90s, and then the 2000s, nobody can remember the 90s, but then the 2000s. And then the, then the 2000s are different. Every generation's different. And it's just a reality we have to accept. But the truth of Jesus never changes. It's relevant for every generation. It never changes. The truth of Jesus works for every generation. Hippies got saved in the 70s in the Jesus movement. That same Jesus is saving people in 2022. The same Jesus. We just got to make space for them. In this story is Worship Team Congress. i got to stop. You, you, y'all are about to leave. Three, three, three things I'll just take off. Just give me two minutes. I think about this woman. I think about us. Just when we're about to be condemned, Jesus steps in. You see, the woman in this story is all of us. We are all guilty of sin before God, all of us have been caught in the act of sin. All of us deserve judgment we are helpless and cannot change our condition we cannot deny our sinfulness we cannot buy our way out of trouble maybe today you're hearing the words of condemnation these religious leaders kept demanding an answer give us an answer jesus give us an answer are you going to condemn her satan and the world heap their condemnation on us but this is where the gospel comes in jesus takes our condemnation He offers us freedom and forgiveness and a new life. Can I make a point here that's so important? It's so critical that we get the order right. Notice this. Jesus forgave her and then gave her a new life. Jesus forgave her and then gave her a new life. He did not say, woman, if you can get your act together, then I'll forgive you. You'll stop sleeping around. Then I'll forgive you. No, he forgave her and then gave her a new life. Let's don't expect that people's lives are going to be changed until they have an encounter with Jesus. Let's don't expect that people are going to clean their act up and get everything together. Then they're accepted at Pacific Christian. If you get, you know, you know, you know, get it all together. Then then you can come worship with us. No, Jesus forgave her and then gave her a new life. And Today you're in this room. I want you to know this is a pastor that loves you i want you to know you can come to jesus just as you are just as you are and you can come today if you need forgiveness jesus is here if you need a new life jesus is here jesus said in john chapter 3 verse 17 for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world Paul said in Romans 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. I think about this woman. Guilt and shame are erased at the feet of Jesus. In a moment, all it takes is a moment for guilt and shame to be erased. Where are your accusers? I don't know, Jesus, and neither do I. Jesus said in Romans, or the scripture says in Romans chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Forgiveness leads to a new life. Go and sin no more, Jesus said. Paul said in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And the new has come. We heard Israel's testimony today. The old is gone and the new has come. And you're here today. And you need new life. Jesus offers you new life. There are plenty, wherever you find yourself today, there are plenty out there who will condemn you. But we don't condemn you. This pastor does not condemn you. Who am I to condemn you? We don't condemn you. Jesus doesn't condemn you because Jesus took your condemnation on the cross and he paid it all. As Pastor Moses said at the cross, Jesus paid it all. And he gives us the opportunity to be forgiven and to get up, to go, and to sin no more. Amen. Stand will you, everybody, stand. Thank you for... Extended me a little bit of liberty, not only to preach today, but in the middle of our sermon, to have a little bit of a pastoral moment, to share a pastor's heart with you. I hope that's okay with you. If it's okay with you. I'd like our prayer team to come, if you will, at this time and they're going to sing this song and maybe up in the sound booth you guys can kind of bring the volume down just a little bit on the on the worship team here we didn't talk about this but i want to do this today because i want this team to be able to to pray but you're here today as we close this service and you need a fresh start you need a new life or maybe you want to pray for someone in your life maybe you have a child that's away from god And you want to pray today that they'll have this moment of encounter with Jesus. Maybe you have grandchildren that are away from God. You want someone to agree with you and pray with you and believe that God, if Jesus can save this woman, then Jesus can save your children. He can save your grandchildren. I want to do that today as we sing this song. Father, thank you for this word we've heard, for what we've received, for the voice of the Spirit that we've heard in our hearts. Today I know that you are working in this place. Maybe some are going to come to faith in Jesus today. Maybe some, Lord, are going to believe for their loved ones that Jesus would save and restore. You're in the business, Lord, of making all things new. We ask you to do it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thank you for joining us for today's podcast. Special thanks to those of you who give so generously to make this ministry possible. If God has put it on your heart to give, please visit our website at pacificchristian.net. And if you enjoyed today's message, please consider subscribing, sharing with your friends on social media, and giving us a rating in iTunes. This will enable us to expand our reach and share the message of Christ with more people. Until next time, God bless.